Welcome back, sports fans, to another Soda of the Charity Stripe Podcast brought to you by the Believe Podcast Network, the number one sports podcast network in Los Angeles. For those listening at home, on the road, in the air, in the water, do you believe? We have a great show for you guys today. Director and showrunner of the hot new Netflix show Sweet Tooth, Jim Mickle, joins the boys. So buckle up, because here we go. Three, two, one. We're back. And now... This is the moment you've all been waiting for. We are live on the Charity Stripe Podcast with your hosts, Alex, Josh, and Nick. We're back, baby. It's the Charity Stripe Pitcher Free Throws, because they're free. Sode 343 coming hot at you guys in Sode 342. And I'm joined on this one by Alex Tossman, the Rock Disopolis, and Nikki Snacks Kreider. And director and showrunner of Netflix's top new show, Sweet Tooth, Jim Mickle. We talk some hoops. We obviously talk some Sweet Tooth. And I want you guys to decide. At the end, as you know, with all our guests, we always ask them what their favorite sports memory is. And we've had some amazing, amazing answers. But of all the answers we ever had, I honestly think this may be the top answer. And I want your guys' opinion. I want you to check it out. So stay tuned to the end, of course. Um, but this one was really special, one for the books. So, without further ado, the Charity Stripe presents Jim Mickle. Enjoy. All right, guys, you heard an hour introduction. We have the Jackie Moon of Netflix's top TV show, Sweet Tooth. <laughs> He's the director, the creator, and the writer, and the adapter. Jim Mickle is joining the boys. Jim, how are you doing today? Hello. I'm doing good. Good, good. Well, you're doing good now. A week ago, you were not doing so good, or a few days ago. Jim is a diehard Sixers fan. You had a hilarious tweet with one of your dogs uh, wearing yeah. a Sixers jersey. You said he's ready for game seven, and then you're like, is there a game eight type deal? Gut <laughs> reaction. Uh, how, are you, how are you feeling about the team? How are you feeling about Ben Simmons? Uh, I don't feel good. Yeah, I'm a diehard Sixers fan. I've been waiting for decades, obviously, for them to break through, and and uh, thought they were going to do it with Iverson and Oh, one and and um, yeah, it's just depressing. But they felt like this was the the year everything was coming together, and they just could not get around uh, could not get around Atlanta or could not get around Ben Simmons in Atlanta. <laughs> yeah, are, are you are you are you team kick Ben Simmons to the curb? I you know I've been the biggest Ben Simmons advocate. You know there was a time like probably a year ago that I would have been like get rid of Embiid, keep Simmons. Like he's the unicorn. Like I was Ooh. all in on Simmons. Um, but I don't know. Even before that last game, I was just, that whole series was just like it was. It was just a sign of like how the chemistry doesn't work, and and uh, yeah, yeah, it was a mess. It seems Passing. like the process cannot be trusted. Yeah. Well, it also felt like for a while it was like you could hide it. You know, the fact that he couldn't shoot or whatever. But there was definitely something about the whole like floor. Like everything went off. You, know, you could just see that it was like all the bad things that come from that sort of all bit him in the ass on that one so yeah or like when simmons during the regular season has his career high when Embiid's not on the floor like that's yeah probably yeah. not a great sign <laughs> yeah 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 but that was the kind of stuff that made me think see he's got it he, you know but right. uh but yeah he's like you, when guys are playing their jump shot usually continues to progress his has continued to regress it's yeah yeah it's actually frightening. that said the trey young th- I, I don't know not to devolve too much into basketball, or maybe that's evolving too much into basketball, but I don't know that I like the whole style of Trey's play. I mean, the guy's amazing, but this whole, like, I don't know that you see it more and more this like 
draw fouls strategy kind of a thing, I think is like, I don't know that I like the way that the game goes with that. You know, not just because they beat the Sixers, but you saw them do the same thing with the Bucks. Like the whole, like, I'm glass, you can't touch me. And if you're within four feet, all I have to do is quickly touch you and it's a foul on you. And then, you know, it's like, I don't know. It feels yeah. like it's yeah. kind of moving away. It's a away cheap way of playing ball. It, it is. is definitely it a cheap is. way. But I think it's something we that, talk right? about a lot though. It's like, yeah. it's not, really? it's just the players manipulating the rules like you got to change yeah, the rules true. if you want things yeah. to actually change totally yeah totally like the whole you know uh what do you call yeah, sweep the swipe through the thing. swipe through yeah yeah like they got to figure out a way to like make it basketball again and not this weird like performance art the, well, co- yeah. the continuation rule still really baffles me because yeah. there's times where i'm like oh nba continuation that's an and one and then other times yeah. where i know my team yeah. is the away team and i'm like oh i guess it was on the floor okay yeah, whatever whatever the ref wants whatever you want yeah yeah agree yeah but philly basketball man hopefully i mean i'm a celtics fan as you can see for yeah. your sake you seem like a nice guy so far i hope, <laughs> I hope they're back strong next year um and, and the what Bucks. do you guys think happens what do you what do you do with simmons you got to trade him at this point yeah we've always say on our show that mm-hmm. your primary ball handler needs to be able to at least score at some capacity not zero mm-hmm. capacity. He doesn't have to clearly be the best shooter on the floor. Like Chris Paul's not a better shooter by any means than Devin Booker, but he can still right. score the rock at every level. And so yeah. if you want to win a championship, you can't have your point guard unless you pair him with a guy like Damian Lillard. You kind of swing some crazy deal, get something else. Yeah. We're back from a column and swap there and have him and Dame go down together or the other yeah. guy next to him is just a complete firecracker. Then yeah. he's not going to do it. I think at this point it's, it's pretty clearly like not a good fit with Embiid and beat is the better player even on a yeah. torn meniscus you yeah. got to move away from Simmons and most of that's just because I think his psyche is so rattled right now yeah like, I think I'm so. with you I was I was a big advocate for him too and I I still am I still think he's a top 25 player but yeah. you got to wait a little bit let the trade value go up and then move yeah on. you actually get yeah. something of value back well also the Philadelphia fan base is like he's gonna get eaten alive if they come you know because it's also been like three or four seasons of him and every summer you know like putting out like these highlight reels of him hitting threes and getting a jumper in the off season and sort of setting you up for thinking that's coming and then he never comes so it's like even if he does put in the work no one's gonna believe it too so yeah look at the boy who cried wolf it's like the fast and the furious nine trailer everyone's like oh cena's in it we're gonna it's gonna be great but apparently it's not that good Oh really? I'm yeah. gonna see it tonight. So. I, I well, I have to. I don't want to. I don't want. I, I I heard a spoiler from my my roommate went last night and it was he was there for two and a half hours and he came back and gave me a spoiler which I will not reveal on the show or to you. But <laughs> it had me cackling in my room to like the like, I couldn't, like loud laughing couldn't stop. Uh, good. Are yeah. you uh, Jim? Are you a member of the A list AMC A list premiere? No. What is that? It's like the. There was AMC Movie Pass before. Oh yeah, pre World shutting down. Uh, yeah, where you pay like a monthly subscription and you get to see X amount of movies per week for free. Yeah. yeah. No, I'm not. I'm not. I haven't been to a movie theater in forever. Are you I excited? The last one. I am. It's. Um. I know Dan Casey, the writer, um, is a friend of mine. So he rented. He rented out a theater. So it's kind of a controlled. You know, it's like a friends and family kind of a thing. So that'll be fun. But the last movie I saw in the theater was like in New Zealand. We went. We were so excited during COVID. We were, you know, obviously shooting in New Zealand. We were so excited. We went to see a uh, promising young woman at a theater there. We, and oh, that was great. Linda and my wife are the only ones in the theater. So it's like we didn't even get the theater experience there. But we see that uh, Robert Downey Jr. got attached to this. And what was it yeah. like 
getting the call from them? Well, I had been talking to um, that his company, um, specifically Amanda Burrell, who's part of the team there. I'd been talking to her for kind of a long time. We, you know, she was somewhere else. She was somewhere else, and I was talking to him about a project. And then years later, she went to Team Downey, and then we were talking about stuff there, and really liked the vibe of the kind of stuff that they were trying to do. And um, and we really hit it off. And so it was kind of one of those like whenever you come to I w- I'm from New York, so whenever you come to LA, you kind of would meet with Amanda and talk about stuff. And then um, and then they at some point I got a call saying you know from them saying have you ever heard of this comic book Sweet Tooth? We're trying to crack a series version of this and um i had read it when it first came out and it was like on my bookshelf still and i was it's like yeah absolutely like you know you have to send it to me i have it i can reread it That's um, awesome yeah so that was that was super cool um and they're awesome they're great they've been they've been so supportive from the get-go and and you know it's been a long road getting the show to to air and to get it made and put together and they've just been incredibly supportive the whole way we always talk to athletes about their first day on the field or when they walk through Mm. the tunnel or you know we've had marshall falk on he talked about you know coming through the tunnel for the super bowl and how it changes cool what was it like first day on set for this show for you um trying to think of what the first day of set was we eased into it so we ended up so it was it was actually an incredibly surreal experience because we were shooting in the south island of, of new zealand which is a mate which is where they you know shot a lot of the beauty stuff in lord of the rings and and you know we're on top of a mountain and we were shooting basically the end of the pilot when gus is like running through those epic landscapes and stuff so we were up there with a drone you know doing aerial stuff and it was the first day with will and jeff lemire the creator of the comic had just arrived so it was like he was pulling up in like a 15 passenger van to the top of this mountain, you know, it takes like 15 minutes even to drive to the top of. And um, it was pretty, it was pretty epic shooting those like final shots of him. Um, but it was like, we, we kind of went into it knowing that we wanted to ease into the shoot by like sort of shooting all the amazing stuff, easing gusts into it and the ears and all that. Um, but uh, it was amazing. It's, you know, it's probably one of the most beautiful places I've ever been. Are you a big and, Lord uh, of the Rings fan? I'm not actually. I mean, I I like them, but I but I'm not you know somebody that'll that, that kind of freaks out over it. Um, mm. But I'm a big Peter Jackson fan because I got interested in film through like his early stuff. And yeah, Bad Taste and Dead Alive were like huge ones for me growing up. So the, like, if anything, it was even that more so because yeah. um, there were some people that had worked on those movies. So. so was it kind of surreal just like shooting there in general after like one of your heroes had done it? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I also was a really big fan of the Evil Dead remake from like 2010 or whatever. Um, and that shot there with a lot of the same crew. And just, I, I just love that the way that that looked like the, the way that they shot it, the, like the, the look of the woods, like there was just a whole vibe to it that I was kind of obsessed with the look of that for a long time. And then all of a sudden you're there, it's like, we're getting that, we're getting that cool kind of Grimm's fairy tale kind of a thing. Yes. Uh, was, that's it it cool. definitely had that. Feel. Was it tough to leave? Cause I'm sitting there. I'm like, damn, <laughs> yeah. I was, if I was y'all, I would have stayed. <laughs> <laughs> well, we did the, we did the pilot in 2019 so before COVID. And then we came, we came back uh, wrote the rest of the series and then had to then stand down for COVID for a couple months. Then we went back in the middle of COVID. So we were there like in the summer last time shooting. And then um, we wrapped it like Christmas. And then um, my partner and I, we stayed on for another couple of months, really just thinking like, do we want to go back? You know, or are we going to just, yeah. 
are we, you know, it was like the, the January 6th had just happened and we were like, you know, and the numbers are spiking. We're like, do we want to go back to this country? You know, we can just stay here. Um, but we missed our dogs ultimately. So we came back. <laughs> yeah. I mean, look at those, do, do you, those can't, let's just listen to the audio. There's two dogs in the background of Jim and they are passed out. Passed yeah. out. One is snoring. You're probably gonna hear. No, that. you're you're good. They, they, we pre-record, so we could we could take that out of the audio for you. <laughs> Funny. So that's that's really interesting that y'all shot the pilot a year prior to the rest of the series. Yeah, Was that because crazy. you yeah. were you were pitching it? I know a lot of projects that go on Netflix are straight to series. So how did that yeah. kind of all happen? Well, we started with Hulu originally. Um, it was it. You know, we we pitched the show. It was not an easy pitch, you know, you know, I remember somebody asked like, so wait, does the character walk around on all fours? You know, it was like, it was a hard thing for people to understand. Um, but Jordan Hellman, um, who is at Hulu and Sasha Silver, um, I had worked with Jordan on another show at Sundance called Hapton Leonard. And he was just like, he believed in the show. And so he was like, we're going to make this at Hulu. So we made the pilot at Hulu. Um, it went really well. And we thought, great. We're, you know, we came back. We're like, this is like the coolest show. And people were already, you know, hearing. I was already getting calls and people hearing like, we heard the show is amazing. And we're like, we're going forward. This is great. And then Disney acquired Hulu kind of like right around that time. And suddenly there was shifts and no one knew who was making decisions and what was going to happen. And we're like, I think we're going to go forward. I think we're going to go forward. And then next thing you know, we're like, we're not going forward and, and never really got up solid answer about what, what happened so at that point warner brothers um was like we're not gonna let this project die susan rovner i give her so much credit she's like we're not gonna let this project die and um and netflix ended up watching it and picked it up and and you know we were always hoping in the, that we'd be with netflix anyway so it actually worked out for for everybody but um but it was a weird long circuitous road you know and yeah. in the Ooh, middle of loss yeah who big big time in the, in the middle, in the middle of the pilot and shooting the rest of the series, something in the world happens that's very relevant yeah. to what happens without giving a like a true yeah. spoiler. Like there is a pandemic that occurs in yeah. the show. It's called the sick. So what was what were the conversations like when you're going back to the project after the world has shut down? It was weird because the you know the 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 pilot obviously opens with it, and and we you know we always imagine really the show sort of uses that whole pandemic thing really as a launching point to sort of do the series. So it's, you know, it's a small, it's a big part, but it's a very, but it's also a small part the same way. But those first couple minutes of the pilot um, was always like how let's watch, you know, the world fall apart basically in a couple minutes, you know, through one character's point of view. And a lot of that, when we were shooting that stuff, like we were shooting in a hospital, again, this is like summer of 2019, we were shooting in a hospital. We had medical experts there to sort of, advise and they were always like you know so and so is going to be wearing a mask and so it's going to be you know and it was all describing all the stuff that was going to happen the next year and it was like kind of going like yeah 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 but no one really knows that you know like we're just we're going to tell the best story you know so we were sort of like fudging some of not really fudging but it was like it was always kind of asking them like we're going to get away with this you know like dr singh for example is like you know he's got a mask on but he's only in the show for like three minutes so we want to see his face so we're going to find opportunities so it was all that so the whole mask thing was actually like already weirdly in my mind only because we had just kind of dealt with trying to shoot it. So anyway, so that, that was that uh, we were doing a lot of research at the time about superbugs. I remember there was this story in the New York times, I think about how like antibiotic resistant bugs were, were going to be something that was going to topple 
countries or something at some point, you know, and it was this terrifying article that we were sharing on set, you know, um, the comic book, <laughs> you know, version of the sick is much more of a like horror kind of a thing. Like it's a little mm -hmm. bit more 28 days later kind of a thing. And, yeah. and we had sort of made the decision like, you know, this isn't really the story. Let's just, let's just lean into an idea that it's basically like a really like, like a flu on steroids basically. Um, so anyway, so that was all that we shot it. Um, and then we were, we started the writer's room like in January, we were about six weeks into it. Um, sorry, about two months into it actually. We had written episodes two and three and we had mapped out the whole series and we were having like all these like philosophical discussions about like what happens if there's a pandemic and, and you're alone, what happens, you probably go in your house and you probably don't leave because you don't know if you can go out. So, you know, we wrote that thing in episode two where that Amy character basically is like, does a little corn, you know, uh, stays at home. Right. Um, it reminded me of, of one of my friends, dude. Like one of my buddies, we uh, went to his place. Yeah, yeah, we went to his place during the pandemic. <clears throat> he was alone for like months, and there's all these oh, plants. Wow. He's like, he's like a botanist out of nowhere. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Not so that Martian. stuff was already uh, that stuff was already written. Um, we started getting into stuff about like the politics of like masks and how people start to hang out and all this, you know, all this stuff that you're sort of having these like what seem like speculative conversations, and then all of a sudden you know, it kind of starts happening. And, and it was really surreal because, you know, something that you'd spend hours talking about in the writer's room, like the next day would all of a sudden be like the main headline. Um, right. And I, you know, I told the story before this one, one of our writers wrote this scene where um, a character has a mask and it's like a personalized, like bedazzled mask. And I remember we had this like debate about like, are we just going too far now? The idea that, you know, we'd have personalized masks or something. Do you think that it made your job easier <laughs> as writers because of COVID or do you think it made it harder to kind of um, accurately depict things? Weirdly, right in the middle, I got to say, because on the one hand, um, being able to come here and sit here every day, five days a week and, and while everyone is sort of confused and doesn't know what's going on in the world, you know, being able to sit and talk about it in a way, but not have to talk about it in terms of our lives all the time, but sort of applying it to a story that we could all mm -hmm. focus on, like that gave such a structure to life in a way, you know, I, I know a lot of people that suffered because it was like, you know, suddenly they don't have the, the, the nine to five of work or whatever. But I think all of a sudden, you know, we all had this thing and we could all sort of bond over it. And that's part of sure. the writer's room experience. So that was really good. We also, I think we're smart enough to not try to guess too much about what was going to happen because it felt like you're, once you're in, in the eye of the hurricane, it's hard to sort of, digest what it looks like or how it's going to affect the world in a couple of years. So, so we already luckily sort of had our story mapped out and it was like, we're going to stick to the story that we're telling. And, and if it good. echoes the world, great. If not, that's great too. How much what? do you guys want to stick to the comics or how much like leeway were you given to kind of break off from that? We stretched pretty far. I have to say um, the, the comics, I don't know if you're familiar with the comics, but they're very dark. They're like very, very, they're, 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 they're dark, but there's like a melancholy kind of a thing to them. And, and Jeff, you know, Jeff as a writer writes kind of bittersweet um, things. That's one of the reasons I, I love them. And they're very emotional, but, but when they hit, they can hit really hard. Um, and early on, I early on, we leaned into a sort of a, a, a more hopeful tone, a bit more colorful tone and tried to find a sort of a new way to look sort of at apocalyptic stories, basically. And, and, all those little decisions sort of led to a show that tonally is very different from the comic book, even though it's still 
there's some things that are spot on, but there's a lot of things that are like, Jeff goes this way, we go this way to get there. Um, it wasn't a lot of like question of like, should we or leeway or whatever. Like I shared the pilot with Jeff, which was ha- the script, which had things that were completely as they are in the books and com- things that were completely made up. But I think he appreciated those changes and he's adapted his own stuff and he understands like how that goes. And so I think he respected those changes and, and had a trust in us that we weren't going to, you know, screw it up. <laughs> it's, it's interesting. I, I haven't read the, the comic myself, but that you mm-hmm. to this is kind of dumbing it down, but you, you lightened the tone a little bit. And yeah. I think it's really interesting because I know your background, you mentioned, you already mentioned evil dead and you've done a lot of yeah. horror. Was that kind of in the opposite direction of like where your initial thoughts were? You're like, let's make this really dark. Let's go yeah. all in. Well, I had, I did in 2010, like the same time that the reason I know the comic book was because almost the same time that came out, I made a movie called Stakeland, which is, has a lot of similarities to this movie. It's like, you know, it's apocalyptic, um, kind of apocalyptic horror. And it's like kind of a lone wolf and cub story with vampires and, it I think is pulling from a lot of the same references and ty- types of stories that Jeff is in the comic book. And so that was one of the reasons I knew of the comic book and was a fan of it at the time. And it was kind of like looking at it, you know, when we started talking to team Downey, it was 2016. And I was kind of like, Hey, I feel like I've already done this, but also the world has already seen this kind of story. And, you know, we're on like, you know, whatever season 4,000 of walking dead, you know, does, right. is this really what people are, are, dying to see more of. And so it, it first started with, you know, what, how do we find a new way into that? Um, at the time, I just had a movie that was supposed to start shooting and it fell apart, you know, a week before shooting. And it was like, it was so soul crushing. And at the time there was just, there was a lot of like turmoil in the world. And it was like, I was diving into the story and just thinking like, man, it's kind of dark, you know, there's it's a lot of darkness right now. And this is kind of dark. And do I want to sign up for something that's going to be like, more years of creating dark right. stuff to sort of show the world how dark it all is. And so I started just kind of going, what if we went the other way? And what if we found, what if we did a story where like you actually wanted to go to this place after the world fell apart, you know, it was beautiful and lush and nature took over mm-hmm. and it just kind of started with that thought experiment. And then it really grew from there. Is that, did it help centering around the kids as well? And make yeah, it definitely. Like a major focal point of the piece? Definitely. Yeah, definitely. I mean, in the comic book, um, Gus is very, is very innocent, very naive. And a lot of the comic is him going out into the world and seeing things that sort of just squash his hopes in a way, you know, but he still stays naive and stays innocent. And we, we kind of went with like, that's the story, you know, as, as he grew up in the woods and grew up in my mind, in sort of a perfect setting, you know, and, and didn't have to deal with, you know, people or cynicism or anything you know and now he's going out into this apocalyptic world sort of being like what kind of a world did you was there before i came along like this is you know that felt like the the sort of the more interesting way in i guess yeah so a, a lot of the story at least for the main character and again this, this is not really giving anything away is mm-hmm. he's our main character who's a young a young boy is on a journey and he's mm-hmm. going on this journey with an older mentor who he kind of like just out of happenstance gets conjoined with. Right. And it's very similar to a lot that we've seen. Like it's like Arya and the Hound in Game of Thrones. Like, what do you think it is about these kind of like weird duos that everyone gravitates towards? Yeah. 
I don't know. I mean, I think there's like kind of, um, you know, I think there's kind of a samurai sort of student teacher, you know, kind of a fable behind all those things, you know, mm -hmm. that, you know, whether it's, you know, this or the road or, um, you know, literally lone wolf and cub or even like, um, zombie land or something, you know, there's something about, I don't know. There's something about that kind of a story of like one generation teaching the next generation something while they're looking at, you know, the, the worst instance of what's happened to the world. There's something about that. I think that it's one of those kinds of stories, like a good Western or a good like samurai story that you can kind of tell in a lot of different um, iterations, I guess. I don't know if this was intentional, but I think it was really well captured talking about the older teaches the younger, but there's a lot mm -hmm. of the younger teaches the older. Yeah. In yeah. this respect, was that intentional? Yeah, definitely, definitely, and that's there in the comic book, and I think it, it was there. But it's 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 um, as Jeff said. I think the in the in the comic book, I think it's the darker stuff, and it's the sort of more horrific stuff in the in the foreground, and the heart and the sort of innocence kind of sneaks up on you. And I think we're we we're sort of the opposite in some ways. You know, we sort of we 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 pull you in with a bit of um, hope and a, and, and a big heart and then sort of allow the sort of the more um, the creepiness stuff to come in um, when you least expect it. So um, yeah, so that was definitely a big part of it was like, not only is Gus going to see how dark or, or sort of how heavy the world is, but he's going to be able to introduce to all these people who had to deal with it, you know, that stuff like compassion and, 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 um you know optimism is like not necessarily dead how was the overall vibe on the set from a point of view that it's a lot of people's first major project great fantastic uh, mostly due to new zealand and just how they there's a there's a sort of like the living conditions are amazing obviously but the, but the working conditions are fantastic and they're very they sort of it's very much like a family sort of affair you know it's a small film community they've all everyone has worked together at some point you know they've all worked in different capacities um but that definitely trickles to how the workday goes so the workday is a little shorter there which is fantastic because you know film sets go forever um it's a little bit shorter there so it's a little bit more humane so you can actually get like a good night's sleep and you can do the grind without you know just being destroyed um, but also everybody really took, you know, especially the younger actors under their wing and really, you know, we would do, we would do these like boot camps before, which was like movement training and like parkour training with the kids, even if they didn't have to do some of that on screen, but it was like a camp for them. So they all got to learn from it's each other. Yeah. yeah. So they, they really felt by the time they got there, they really felt, you know, confident and felt like they, they were, they were a family already. And then the same thing for the crew. Um, so I just can't say enough great stuff about um our, our whole crew and just and just how they look at telling stories and collaborating on things together is just really is is great at the end of the day <clears throat> people want to work with people that are fun to work with and mm -hmm. work environments and mm -hmm. i think that definitely you create an ecosystem there that is positive and uplifting and it translates to how they act and yep the rest goes on yeah, I think I think you can see it on screen. I think it, it translates, you know, on screen. You know, I used to I was I worked on crews for a long time before I got to do this. And it was like, you know, you can tell the ones that were like wherever where no one wanted to be there. Yeah. <laughs> you can tell. For sure. <laughs> yeah. 
hundred percent. I mean, like even like it translates to any kind of medium. If you do a podcast, we've interviewed a lot of people. We've been very Mm -hmm. fortunate that everyone, like for the most part, is down to be here. It is down to be a part Mm -hmm. of the game, but we've seen another podcast that people are just not down to be a part of. We we talk to other people in our industry. We've all been on sets before as well. And I think for the Mm -hmm. most part, we've all had really great experience on sets, but it can Mm -hmm. be like one of those things where it's like day three and everyone's like day three, day six. It's like, we're only like, we're we're halfway there and people are just just dragging. And I think honestly, it's it's funny you mention it because a lot of the, I know Mm -hmm. I've shot some stuff in like New York mainly, but like Mm -hmm. the vibe of New York, Philly and Boston is infinitely different than the vibe of New Zealand. It's like, God, that you're shooting over there. Yeah. <laughs> um, going off the the feeling question though, what was the feeling then like after seeing the credits roll for you for the first time? It's on Netflix. First episode's done. You see, yeah. boom, Jim Mickle. How does that? It feel? was um, it was very surreal because especially because we had, you know, that pilot was in my life for like three years or something. You know, whatever. It was. I guess we finished it in 2019. You know, there's a period of time where it was like, man, no one's ever going to see this. You know, it's like, am I going to have to get like request a DVD so that I can just tell people like, hey, we made a cool thing. So you sort of have this relationship with it. We worked on it so much because we, we, you know, we, we did some recuts with Netflix. And so for you, you fall in and out of love with it. You know, at, for, at one point you're totally in love with it. At one point you're like, I never want to see this thing again. I never want to look at this thing again. It just feels like heartbreak and work and you know it actually is stressful to look at it um and the show itself the rest of the show we were literally working on it up until days before it aired like we were still getting in like final music cues and sound effects and stuff like that um and so you're sort of everything about it is like you're so in it and then the first night that it came out we we sat and we watched all of them back to back and it was the first time i was able to watch it like as an audience and really appreciate a lot of things that I couldn't even appreciate when we were in the middle of it, um, but also get swept up in it emotionally. And then to see the whole world sort of all as one sort of, you know, connecting with it. Uh, it was just mind blowing. It's, it's so cool. I still can't really wrap my head around it. To be honest. For those listening, I recommend you do it in one shot. I did episodes, I did episodes one through five and then I, I didn't do it in one fell swoop. I did episodes one through five and I did episodes six through eight. I thought I, I, mm. this means anything. I thought I was in episode like three, but it turns out I was on episode six. I'm like, dang, this thing's moving. <laughs> I was like, yeah, but because there's so much going on with time as well. Yeah. Was that yeah. difficult for you? Just kind of piecing it together? Yeah, definitely. I mean, that was, you know, months and months and months of, writers rooms and especially when it got to this format because when you're in when you're in a physical writers room with other writers you know you're surrounded by whiteboards and you're drawing maps and you know timelines and all kinds yeah. of stuff and all of a sudden you're in this Zoom. format yeah and you know we, we sort of adopted you know you start with like google docs and all these different apps to try to track that stuff but it never quite works you never really know if everyone's looking at the same thing so that yeah that got very 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 complicated but you know thankfully a lot of smart people are involved to sort of correct you when you start to drift yeah was it like i mean you're like technically the head to equate it to sports you're the head coach but like how, right. so but you had did you look to your like i guess the general manager whoever that would be or the owners a lot to kind of help guide you throughout yeah the i mean we have a lot of people involved so obviously like you know team downey is there's four people there you know all of whom are very hands-on and get really uh, in the weeds. Um, my partner, Linda, you know, is always the first person that sees anything I do and she's always catching stuff, you know? Um, and she's, you know, she was there with me helping, you know, the, 
really like in the very first episode, those young kids, you know, that are like, sort of like, can't get them out of their shell. Like she's there with them rehearsing, reading children's books with them, getting them to open up and stuff. Um, so already there's a lot. I had a co-showrunner, Beth Schwartz, who had done um, Arrow for yeah. eight seasons. And um, so there's the two of us, then there's um, Warner Brothers, massive crew. Um, so there's a lot of people, you know, it's once you can really trust people, it's really, um, free. <laughs> yeah. I actually, I actually think the more apt comparison is someone like Bill Russell when he was a player and a coach. Cause oh, I, you direct, yeah. you directed, you directed right. four yeah. of the eight episodes. Cool. I, I'll take dude, I, I blew it. I, I, I led with Jackie moon. I was trying to go with the movie thing. I should have gone. Right. The Jackie Bill Moon's Russell. good too. Yeah. I thought it was yeah. solid. I thought it was the right way to introduce it. What, how was that Celtics like? fan? So yeah. Right. right. How is it like in the episodes that you didn't direct because obviously you uh -huh. mentioned before like you've you've worked on a lot of sets i think anyone mm -hmm. that's worked on a set not where the project is their baby sometimes has some thoughts and feelings about things yeah. that are going down like yeah oh, this, things are moving really slow or like whatever you know yeah you're, yeah, yeah yeah you're the pa or the the audio you know the the audio engineer um yeah. so what was it like being the creator and then mm -hmm. being able to direct the show and then all of a sudden having someone else direct an episode here, an episode there. Yeah, I like it. So I kind of, on, on Stakeland, we had this idea that, you know, that was a very small movie, budget movie. And we had this idea that we were going to do these webisodes that were, basically there was a bunch of scenes and sort of side stories that we couldn't fit in the show. And so we had, had this idea, we'll do webisodes. Um, and we basically asked like filmmakers and friends that we really loved and said like, hey, we have this great idea of the story. Do you want to write? you know, like a 10 minute thing and go direct it. And while we're shooting on a day that we're not using that actor, you can go do a whole short film based on this. And it was such a freeing experience and inspiring experience because, you know, you see all these different, you know, styles come back and you're like, wow, I never would have thought of that, you know, and, and it's just such a cool experience. So I fortunately kind of coming from that and then doing Happen Leonard for three seasons where, you know, all of a sudden you, you know, you're working with, you know, television directors and they're sort of interpreting something that you've been working on for a while. I, you know, I know there are people who get very possessive and sort of freaked out about it. I love it because, you know, you're directing is a really weird um, and sort of lonely position, you know, um, and show running too, because you're, everyone on a set is generally working with like other lighting people, you know, other art department, you know, you're, you're working with other people that are sort of in your field you never really get to see other directors unless you're working, you know, on, on a shoot for somebody, same thing with showrunners, you know, you're, you're either working for one or you're not. I came up, I started showrunning the first show that I did. So you never, I had to watch a Netflix series called showrunners just to understand what a showrunner <laughs> did. And so there's something really, I love to just kind of watch like how people prepare and how they break down a scene and what they find is the important thread of something, you know, and oftentimes I'm like, yeah, you were right. You know, my head is way too into it. You were right. So I, I really enjoy that, that process. It can definitely be stressful, but, but most of the time it works out great. Yeah. The yeah. collaboration process is probably awesome. I mean, yeah. being able to kind of pick up from other people's tech techniques and tactics and stuff and totally just getting another totally. perspective to help you out. Totally. The way that I prep, you know, I, I, I sort of, I use this program notability and I sort of break stuff down and on my iPad. And that was like from a director, Mo Marable, who did happen Leonard one time. And I was just like watching him and I'm like, what are you, how do you do? That's what I always wanted to do. I'm carrying around like a three ring binder, you know, and, 
and I'm just watching that. So you just, you, you pick up stuff along the way. Our producing director is named Toa Fraser and he's done just a ton of shows and really good shows. And like almost every cool show out there, he's done like an episode or two of, and like, you know, just the way that he breaks stuff down and sort of like, he, what, what's, what's great about him is he's very like, no bullshit. Like he's like, this is what we need. I'm not gonna mess around and sort of waste time getting all this stuff. This is actually the heart of it. And there's a discipline to what he does that I just really deeply respect. Cause I'm much more of like, let's shoot it all. We'll figure it out in the edit, you know? And, and <laughs> there's something about that that's really inspiring and, and admirable, so. Yeah, there has to be a healthy mix of trial by fire, but also, mm -hmm. or, or trial by combat and also just watching the combat from the sidelines. You can't mm -hmm. just delve into it all the time. I'm actually sitting there and watching people fight yeah. I mean, I, we we produced a lot of podcasts and we produced one that was a scripted show and they were doing like extra interviews and they asked us because we do obviously do interview shows like hey do y'all want to do the interview I'm like no no no, y'all got it you guys do it yeah and then yeah. we were sitting back watching the interview i remember like my first time getting in there i'm like oh no like i hope they yeah. i'm just like getting the cold feet but then like i'm watching like oh that's interesting i wouldn't have done that or i wouldn't have done yeah. this. Well, that's yeah. really cool and then you yeah. pick up and all of a sudden i'm taking stuff into my own new work so that's definitely right yeah really yeah cool. putting new things in your toolbox yeah, exactly. Yeah. <clears throat> All right. We told you at the top, we have a couple of fun questions for you before we get into those last few fun questions. It could be from you playing, watching, anything. What is your favorite sports memory? My favorite sports memory is um, I was a sophomore playing basketball outside of Philadelphia. I played basketball my entire life. Um, well, up, like very competitively up until like 20. Um, and I was... A sophomore, I was bumped up to varsity. It was our first game of the year. Um, my first varsity game, it was like a, some sort of like a Thanksgiving tournament or something. And our coach said, okay, we're going to play against this team. We're going to play against this guy. He was an All-American next year. We got to shut him down. Mikkel, I know it's your first game. Um, I'm going to ask you to guard him at times during this. Like you, another guy, Brad Hunt, a couple other guys, you're going to guard this guy. It was Kobe Bryant. Um, so I played oh my, my first varsity game. I played against Kobe Bryant, and uh, the first get for the first play of the game, he, the first play of the game, I was like on the wing. Like he wins the jump ball, I was on the wing, and um, I I'm looking at him. I turn and look at the point guard, and I look at the point guard as he's throwing the ball up, passing it towards the net, and I just see somebody catch it and reverse alley oop dunk it. And I was just like, oh, <laughs> one of us just got burned. And of course, I look back and he's gone. That's and, Kobe. And, uh, yeah. And um, so, yeah. So my first varsity game was against him um, and he got kicked out of the game. He uh, he was like kind of complaining to the refs and he ended up at some point, he kicked the ball into the stands and um, got, got technical and got kicked out of the game. And then my mom and all of our parents were in the stands, like, you know, yelling. And his dad was on the other side, you know, yelling. And we ended up still losing the game. Um, but after that, we were kind of like, I remember always thinking, like, he's good, but he's a little bit of a hot dog. And I don't know if he's going to really be able to, you know, really exceed <laughs> going forward. So. Wow. Yeah. That's, that's why we ask these questions. I mean, we never really know what to expect and something like that just blows us away. You played against Kobe Bryant. That's ridiculous. I'm not, yeah. I'm not even blowing smoke up your ass. I think that that's definitely, I'm not going to say it's top one. So I have to review the tape. That could top. We've had some really good ones, but that, wow. That is yeah. up there. Yeah. And what it was really had a couple. Hard. Nice cliffhanger uh, you know, too. 
I didn't know. I, I didn't um, know you were going with it. I was about to ask you who's the guy. <laughs> I um I hate like I hate the Lakers with a passion, but he's you know I was really when when he died, I was like really it was a real mind fuck, you know, because he was always you know whatever he was a year or two ahead of you know it was just always one of those things like always somebody that you're sort of like not a peer I mean it sounds weird to say a peer but age-wise a peer because you're like oh yeah that's somebody who basically went to like a, a you know a rival high school or something you know and so that was always something that you sort of look at and then all of a sudden you know it's like whoa it's just your whole mortality and everything wrapped up into that was just crazy yeah he's the only person I've ever I mean coming from New York I was having this conversation with someone the other day like maybe it was Nick maybe it was you I think it was you Nick the how big Derek Jeter is and I never had realized that an athlete, like to me, there was never going to be an athlete as right. Jeter. And I came to LA and I was like, holy right. smokes, that's the West Coast. Right. West Coast. Jeter. Yeah. 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 That's, that is a good one. That's a really good one, actually. And yeah. on, a, on a lighter note, um, obviously in Sweet Tooth, there's these things called hybrids. Um, yeah. So half human, half hybrid. So it's an animal slash human. You yeah. go for 40 minutes. Right? <laughs> Josh, Nick, Alex what would our animals be? <laughs> I could take my You're hat asking off. Me what I'm your asking you for, I'm, I'll take my hat off if it helps. Oh, wow. Wow. I, I don't know. <laughs> Gut check reaction. Know. We're putting you on the spot <laughs> here, man. Well, we need to know. I, uh, yeah, I don't know, to be honest. I don't know. I, it, it's, uh, that's a hard question. Wow. Yeah. Don't be afraid to offend us. We're not going to get offended. Dude, I've, they've said, people have said worse <laughs> to me. Victor Cruz told me it's, I had the worst shoe game of all time. You're good. <laughs> Re- well, really what I need is like, bot- like I need full frame things because that's really where a lot of it comes from. Cause you kind of got to be like, yeah, that's kind of a turtle or that's kind of this, but to be honest, like shoulders up, I can't really tell. <laughs> <laughs> Please call Josh a turtle. That'd be hilarious. <laughs> yeah. That's where it's going. All right. So we're going to go with good. Josh being a turtle. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Cool. Uh, that's a hard one. But when, when, well, when you, when maybe you this, come back you, after season two, you'll have to tell yeah, us. Which exactly. Yeah. 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 Or you just put us in season two. <laughs> <laughs> I, I gotta. Okay. I gotta ask Jim. Did you watch the the HBO show Mayor of Beastown? A little bit. Yeah, I didn't finish it, but I watched a little bit. Yeah. As a as a guy who grew up in Pennsylvania, I know it's not yeah. the same town, the yeah, town that you yeah, grew up yeah. in, but, but that's basically the town that I grew up in. It's very, much is it, was that. it an accurate so, yeah. depiction of, okay. It, it was, it was at times it was like, so on the nose that I, that I had a hard time watching and it felt a little bit like, um, I know Craig's Oval, um, and I love Craig and, and, yeah. um, and but there were times where it felt a little like the Saturday Night Live sketch to me. I don't know if you guys saw that. Yeah, Murder Dirter. It. it felt a little bit like that, and I at times I had a hard time watching it. I made a movie called In the Shadow of the Moon, which is set in Philly, and and had Michael C. Hall do like a really thick, you know, um, awesome. Central Pennsylvania uh, Delco accent. And um, there was something about that that I loved because I, there was like a sense of humor that he had to the whole thing and it was like such a downer that show that it was hard to not feel that uh as i watched it yeah okay. good to know <laughs> no, I, going into it I'll, I'll have that in the back of my mind <laughs> it's hard not to... to shake that murder dirt <laughs> oh yeah sorry snl yeah. ruined it for a lot of people i feel like well i get some like, water right it's now always, yeah it's always interesting hearing about 
like people that grew up in a specific place and then they make a show about that city, just like how they feel about the show, if it's an accurate depiction. Yeah. And it's just, always, yeah, I, on, a, on a side note, sports related, but also crossover with Mayor, when Shake Milton had his game where he scored like 11 points in five minutes or whatever. Yeah. Someone tweeted like only Mayor could have could have known that Shake <laughs> yeah, Milton yeah, was going to have this game. And I thought it was like the greatest tweet ever. <laughs> That's funny. Uh, last two for you, man. Because we do sports. Obviously, we love movies. What's your favorite sports movie? Of all time. Uh, I mean, Hoosiers for old time's sake, you know, I mean, grew up, you know, almost watching that, you know, religiously, you know, growing up. Um, that's probably it. I mean, I love, it's not really a movie, but those last chance you things are amazing on, on Netflix, particularly that last basketball one was amazing. Yeah. We had not a co- movie, but we had coach beam on the last football one. That oh. we did. Yeah. He, uh-huh. he was, he was on, what was he on? Was that a year ago guys? It was during the pandemic for sure. During the pandemic, oh, right, yeah. right when it came out, he came on. I mean, that guy's that guy's mustache is electric. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, those are. I, I loved all those. Those are yeah. yeah those are amazing. Um, trying to think of other good sports movies. Um, Maybe a doc. Is there a doc you dig? Um, I mean, I just start to think of all the thirty for thirties, which are which are. Mm-hmm. amazing i mean hoop dreams is amazing back in the day but yeah. really i mean in terms of docs i think those last chance you ones are like they really rise to the yeah, top great. i mean Nothing i grew up with phenomenal. like yeah. blue chips you know i don't know if you remember that movie with like uh nick nolte as the coach oh, i think yeah. Shaq was in it and like matt nover and like you know that was like trying to be hoosiers really wasn't i just think of a lot of ones that don't quite work sadly you know like i remember wanting to love any given sunday when that came out and just feeling like ah it didn't quite you know um it's a hard thing i feel like because if you're a sports fan i feel like you can always feel the move like i feel like it's hard to ever really buy you know a lot of times that the actors are really playing and it's hard if you get big name actors to play you know professional athletes it's hard to buy it like you said like you know jimmy yeah. fox and also if it's a fake team too it's hard to buy it yeah as well. like if we were to do real teams like like major league did i mean it's a comedy but like they're the right. indians you know and like that's yeah. a little bit more it's more realistic for me. Yeah, I'll, I agree. I'll push back. There's nothing better than Shane Falco leading his team to the playoffs and the replacement. <laughs> I I think though the the perfect marriage for your directing and like what you what you like to do or at least what you've done so far with mm. your affinity for sports, especially your story about Kobe Bryant, is the next yeah. time someone makes a remake of the Teen Wolf movie. You're gonna be all over that. That's perfect. You've got, you've got the hybrid, and he's a basketball player. Right. You know, yeah. it's, you, you, you know, it's yeah. you know, it's coming in five years, bro. That's 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 you. Uh, that's awesome. And then the last one, we'll end on a sweet tooth note. Uh, do you have a favorite memory from set? Like a favorite moment y'all had together? Um, I mean, there that there's so many. There there was one that was like a weird sort of personal one uh in episode six is the thing at the end where the horse runs off out of the suburb they let the horse go and it like runs out of the suburbs you know in slow motion and all that and we like we woke up really early one morning to shoot that to try to time it as the sun was coming up so you get there and it's dark and you're waiting for the sun to rise and you have this horse ready and you have this like aerial camera flying over the suburb and it's like right as the sun starts to come through the clouds like go shoot and i think we got like one or two takes of it um and I remember like driving then to the next set and just like tearing up in the car on it because, you know, I was talking to 
family and friends back home, you know, that are still like sort of like locked down and not know what they're going to do. And, and it's like here we're in New Zealand shooting, you know, this weird thing of like a horse that's like running free in the suburb, like getting to be let go instead of opening their life up. And like, and I just remember thinking like at some point this is going to come out. So ironic. I don't know if it's six months from now or a year from now as the world is sort of waking up out of this, hopefully. And um it'll this will be a this will be an oddly symbolic moment i guess and and yeah. uh, so yeah. that was fun there's so many parallels a, in this show yeah. to the outside world it's, yeah. it's wild yeah that yeah. was also a nerve-wracking moment i'm not gonna lie to you because not to spoil the horse the horse does something earlier this, yeah <laughs> i thought the horse was in trouble yeah. Yeah. the horse is the, uh, the big time was, MVP, was, mvp of that episode yeah, the horse, sure. the horse yeah. major mvp <laughs> moment i got like a shake milton moment coming out off the bench <laughs> it. and at the end of, at the end i'm like this horse is i'm like they're riding this thing off i'm like this, this thing better live I'm like jim i'm seeing you in a couple of days don't do this to me man uh, that's uh, funny. <laughs> sweet tooth is excellent man congratulations uh we thank you it. uh everyone go check it out Again, try to kill it all in one shot as much as you can. It's very much worth it. Jim Mickle, the director, the creator, the showrunner. Congratulations, man. Thank you for joining. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Appreciate it. Awesome interview. Dude's an absolute homie. Great sense of humor. Again, like legendary, legendary sports memory. It's got to be one of the tops. We want to do something special for it. Uh, so we're figuring some stuff out on our end for that. Uh, it's in the works. But meantime... Uh, really amazing. Go check out Sweet Tooth. It's a truthfully fantastic show. We I cruise through it. Uh, so did Nick and Toss. Um, so we recommend it to everybody. And of course, we're brought to you by BetOnline.ag. Go to BetOnline.ag today. Put some money on the Suns to take down the Clippers. Um, put some money on. I think Giannis is a good bet. Middleton's a really good bet to win Finals MVP. If you want to make some cash. Um, I think the Bucks. I, I was on Trey Young for plus 700, but after game three, I think it's going to be the Bucks to lose, taking the first one in Atlanta. So Giannis, Middleton to win MVP. Uh, there was some good bets right there. Um, and anyway, fans out there, drag both feet in bounds, swing on a full count, rip that puck, hit that putt, hit your PKs because they're free, and hit your free throws. Why, guys? Because they are free. We out, yo. We love you so damn much. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.